Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Heroin. Huge epidemic. 70s drugs actually made a comeback in the Philadelphia area, which I broadcast from. In the last week, 35 deaths, deaths related to the use of heroin. Now, heroin is used with a drug called fentanyl to bring its potency. But there's another drug, another chemical out there called carfentanil, 10,000 times more potent than fentanyl is. But here's the kicker, people. It has a weapons of mass destruction component to it. Yeah, you heard me. Weapons of mass destruction, WMD. See, carfentanil can be used and has been used by the Russian military. We'll get into that later as a weapon of mass destruction. If you turn it into an aerosol, spray it into a room full of people, it will knock them out and potentially kill them. So this could be kind of the poor man's chemical weapon. Now, my first guest today has been on before, Bill Young. Uh, He owns uh, Moldenmore here in the uh, Exton, Pennsylvania area. So Bill's very familiar with the chemicals that we're going to be discussing, also the decontaminant that can counterbalance these things. The interesting part here is Bill was was also a police officer for a number of years. So Bill will give us some insight into the actual, again, the epidemic that we're seeing with heroin. Now, my second guest, this is really special, her name is Leah Roberts. Uh, She's an independent scientist. She works out of Florida. Uh, she is big time, and it's kind of sexy, actually. I like it. She's big time into biological and chemical weapons research, counterterrorism, uh, things along those lines. Her credentials are incredible. Uh, she's the kind of woman you want to hang with. Trust me. If you're a guy, you want to hang with her and kind of discuss these things. So we're going to be having her on as well, and we're going to get that WMD component. But first, let me introduce and bring back Bill Young. Good morning. How are you doing? Bill, I'm doing fine. Um, Leah, are you there too? Leah? Hello? There you go. You there? Did you hear my intro for you? Yes, thank excellent, you. Appreciate excellent. that. I got Bill here with me, and we're going to begin. Well, just kind of first, we're going to talk about the epidemic of heroin. Now, now, Bill, you're a police officer here in the suburbs of Philadelphia, the Lower Marion area? Lower Marion, yeah. Uh, for quite a while. 17 years. There you go. And then you were also a history teacher, correct? Yes. There you go. And, and now you own a business. I mean, I thought I was a Renaissance man. You got me beat. <laughs> so, what, isn't heroin a throwback drug? Well, yes and no. It's gone through several iterations. And I recall when I was on the street in law enforcement, it was making a comeback uh, because they had found a way to make it possible to sniff the uh, or inhale the uh, heroin similar to the way you would take in cocaine 
So they've been able to crush it and then snort it. Yeah, they they added some things that would allow it to break down into the mucous membranes, and you could just absorb it through that. Um, that was called Mexican brown. It didn't last a long time. Um, it kind of burn itself out. Well, it. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's drugs we're talking about here. Yeah, <laughs> drugs are the kind of thing where they cycle around. So repeatedly you'll see particular drugs show up, and then they'll disappear because they go out of vogue, and then something else will come in and take over for it. And that that was really a response to some degree to the rise in cocaine use. The The stigma of having to inject heroin for many of the people that were part of the residents in the community I worked in. Suburban kids. Right. While they could cover that up by hiding their, their needles in trash bags, unlike the city where they were just throwing them out in the street, uh, they didn't like the idea of injecting and having tracks and all that. This was a, a way to get around that. Um, we didn't see a lot of it. Most of the stuff that I ran into on the street, a uh, good deal of marijuana use, which was no big deal. Um, but then we got into PCP and drugs like that because the Route 30 corridor was big for PCP and the uh, motorcycle gangs. Yeah, like the Route 30 corridor here in the Philadelphia area is considered the main line. So it runs from the rich suburbs down into Philadelphia for the most part. So I guess as a cop in that area, you had a lot of spillover problems coming in from the Philadelphia part. Yeah, there were a lot of clandestine labs just inside the city of Philadelphia in West Philly and Southwest Philly. And uh, then they would use Route 30 to get the drugs out to Lancaster. Then they would spread from Lancaster out to Reading and then up into the New York area, things like that. So that was a lot of what we ran into, that and cocaine. There was a good deal of cocaine use. Um, Heroin wasn't real big at that time, except for this Mexican brown, which you could inhale. That's amazing to me. I mean, what people can come up with (laughs) as far as uh, looking at a drug and thinking, maybe I can snort it. Yeah. You know, if I can inject it, maybe I can break it down and snort it. It's... I've never been addicted to anything. I don't think I have an addictive personality, but I do think I have enough enough empathy to understand how someone can get hooked onto drugs. I think, now this is what I've read. This is something, some numbers I pulled. Um, In 2015, it was estimated that the biggest killer of younger people was accidental overdoses. You were looking around 55,000 plus combined. Of that, 25,000 roughly were accidental prescription overdoses. Then the other remaining number was uh, heroin itself, or, or you know the, the drugs related to using heroin. That's what's kicked, and it has steadily climbed since 2010. And maybe you can help me with this. What, from what I understand, and I actually saw a special on this on HBO Real Sports. People get injured, uh, they need some pain pills, they need something to, to get them through that part, but they end up getting addicted. Then when that happens, of course, the, the uh, doctor cuts you off at a certain point. You go out on the street, it's like $95 to get uh, you know, any kind of good pain pill. You're going to run out of cash quick there, but heroin at $35 a packet, three to five hits with the same euphoric feelings that you would get from a prescription opiate. 
Yeah, and for most of those people, they're really trying to curb their pain. Um, this is this is something that really goes back, and we can't talk about this without bringing in the pharmaceutical industry because there's big bucks to be made in painkillers, and we have to take a look at the medical system, which in the late 1970s, early 1980s, began to recognize that pain was problematic in terms of healing. So they started to look for ways to reduce the pain, making it easier for people to recover from whatever injury or surgery or whatever it was that they ran into. Um, that change in the medical system, like most changes in the medical system, actually gets driven by the pharmaceutical industry that sits back and says, oh, well, we can generate a problem, now here we have the cure. Sometimes they'll come up with the cure before they come up with the problem, but they will bring that in. And what happened was a lot of individuals were giving very, given very potent analgesics, um, and there were no questions as to whether there was a potential for addiction. There comes a point with most people where they'll hit a wall. When they hit that wall, it's it's either you stop using that drug and switch to something else, or you push through, and then you're you're crossing into that area of addiction as a result. It's really what's known as an iatrogenic problem. It's, there's actually a medical term for it mm. uh, because it's not unusual to have people addicted or come up with some other illness as a result of treatment within the medical system. Now, what's interesting to me is uh, painkillers, you know, we the opiates that are legally prescribed. Funny part is marijuana would actually be very helpful here it would in be. a lot of cases. When I understand uh, athletes I've talked to, you should remain nameless, um, they will use marijuana as a way of reducing the pain after a football game. Uh, basketball players, this isn't anything that's you know not out there to be known. You can easily you know find it, but because it can't be duplicated, so to speak, or begin the patent by, unless they manipulate something. It, it's not looked at by the pharmaceutical company as anything to work with. So it's kind of cast away. There's really no money in it unless you're the dealer. Yeah, well, it's, it's really, it goes back to the concept of prohibition. And we didn't prohibit cannabis use because of scientific data. We prohibited it because the pharmaceutical industry couldn't figure out a way to patent it and make a lot of money off of it. Um, there's also a number of other things if you look into the history of cannabis, but uh, fundamentally you're absolutely right. If you can't patent it and you can't regulate the dosage, you can't say, well, you're getting 10 milligrams of whatever the active ingredient is that you need, whether that's THC or one of the other uh, cannabinoids. I mean, we do have a cannabinoid system. Uh, every one of our nerves has receptors for cannabinoids, and different cannabinoids do different things. So if someone has respiratory issues, THC actually, tetrahydrocannabinol, is a... Um, a, a um, like a respiratory, yeah, it, it opens up the uh, open the, up the airwaves. airwaves. Yeah, it's, yeah, it acts as an anti-inflammatory yeah. within that situation. Yeah. Uh, I'm, Bill, I'm going to cut you off because we got to take a break here. Then I want to come back and I'm going to stay on this for a little bit, and then we're going to bring in Leah Roberts on the WMD situation, how it's looked at. There, both of you guys fit perfect with this, as you know. Well, and as you know, her knowledge base is huge. So. Oh, I, I've got a list of things that uh, that she's published and. 
Uh, it really is impressive. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today our discussion is heroin, the two drugs association, it? excuse me, uh, carfentanil and fentanyl, carfentanil, the new one. And we'll be right back and continue the discussion. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest, Bill Young, older owner of Moldenmore in Exton, Pennsylvania, former cop, former history teacher, and Leah Roberts, a scientist, independent scientist down out of the Florida area who researches biological and chemical weapons. Leah, let me bring you in on this uh, now. Your background is, is and how you, what you're studying uh, the uses of uh, carfentanil and fentanyl are dramatically different than what we just talked about uh, within the heroin trade. Mm-hmm. Have you come across people, have you dealt with people who are heroin users by any chance? Have you had been in, in uh, uh, symposiums where this has come up at all? Not in a symposium, but actually um, had close friends and family members who were affected by it when they were younger and fought for years to beat addictions. I don't want to bring their names no, up no, or anything, no. you know, just for that purpose of not not going there again for them. But but yeah, I, I've heard the story from firsthand situations, and it's it's heart wrenching to hear what these people go through and they've they've watched their friends just die off from the same drug and it it kind of makes you start to to dig into it a little deeper and say well how widespread is this and in some of the research that i've done for various jobs over the last couple of years i look at cities Mm -hmm. and see what their drug problems are their crime problems are and there has not been one city where this didn't come up as a problem well, and, and not just fentanyl, but the carfentanil has been coming in uh, more recently in the last less than a year, really. Well, let me throw that back to Bill, because I've talked to Bill about this before, and he has some knowledge here. The carfentanil, 10,000 times more potent than what is in heroin now with the fentanyl. Carfentanil is coming in from what we discussed before, China. Yeah. Is that the biggest yeah. uh, uh, shipper, we'll say, of the carfentanil, are they the biggest provider right now? I would say Leah is probably the one to answer that question, but I, I think she would agree that they, they are is. the supplier. Okay, so it they... And I go ahead, up on the, on the Internet right now. I could tell you that there's, there's five or six that I found just this morning trolling around that will package it, and they know that they're, they're, they're doing things that are illegal because it's controlled here. And what they'll tell you is that they'll package it in smaller than kilogram packages, two or three or four, ship them one day and then wait a couple days and ship another, ship it to different addresses so that the person can pick it up at random addresses so it doesn't look like it's part of the same shipment, just to circumvent the DEA and the regulations for importing that with customs. Well, I would be remiss not to say... Because I don't think a lot of people realize, and I don't think I'm going to turn them on anything that great there. But there's a dark side to the Internet. Uh, I only learned about a couple years ago through a Time Magazine article that there's a place you can go where basically every desire, every crazy thing you want is available at a price. It'll get to you from somewhere. I watched a special on a drug dealer in the Midwest, orders his drugs 
from different people on the dark side of the internet. It gets delivered directly. Well, not only that directly, but to a P.O. box. And from there, he distributes out to his street dealers. Very, very little uh, things to worry about. Not much there to really worry about. It's all kind of moves nicely. Are we? And Bill, I'll go with this. And, and you obviously weren't. The internet wasn't as big as it is when you were practicing as a cop and you were an actual cop. No, Al Gore hadn't invented it yet. <laughs> that was great. That's one of my best. There, <laughs> Al was still busy figuring it out. Yeah. The um, is the law enforcement. They're just stretched way too thin with this, right? Well, it's not only way too thin, but they're not really equipped for it. And because we look at some of these things as criminal activities, and, and certainly the importation of something like carfentanil is a criminal activity. I'm not discounting that. Um, but since we look at um, people's relatives who are addicted to these things as being criminals, not having a illness that needs to be treated, but rather something that requires incarceration and and the law enforcement community and things like that. Uh, the tools that law enforcement has are are very limited, uh, and that's we're finding that out on a variety of levels, both with mental health issues and and for uh, drug use. Uh, those nations that have removed the prohibition, such as Portugal. Uh, who take a look at it as a public health issue versus a criminal law issue, have had fantastic results. We in America are just a little bit on the slow learning side. We ride the short bus. I wish. <laughs> That's been one of my favorite sayings for years. Don't get me started there. But we're still connected to that Puritan work ethic type thing, and we can't take a look at drugs in this capacity. Now, the interesting part to me is, and we'll swing it back to Leah here, Carfentanil is becoming more and more popular, more and more part of what's used within heroin. Ten, again, we'll say it 10,000 times more potent. I mean, if I'm a heroin user, that sells me no problem. I mean, the, that's the extras right well, there. Well, the potential for death is the, really oh, drawsome. But, yeah. but the problem is, on a level, these people know it, but the addiction is far more powerful. What I find interesting is, and now, again, I'll throw it back to Leah here, the weapons of mass destruction potential. I, I don't think, until you and I discussed this a couple, about a month or so ago, I ha would have had no idea that you could take a drug. Now, it is mixed with something else, if I'm correct. I can't think of uh, until I can't pronounce I don't, it there. Yeah, I don't think we know exactly what what ru the Russians, Russians used did with in it. The, in the they, they used remifentanil. It was remifentanil and carfentanil, and they, it was um, made into a gas, and they when they uh, tried to end the siege of the Dubrovka Theater, where the Chechen rebels had taken 200 and some, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but 200 and some or, or more hostages in the theater and were killing them off, just, you know, trying trying to get their purpose across. Anyway, when when the Russian government decided to use the, the uh, they, they thought it was going to be a, a non-lethal way of, of ending this siege, they didn't count on the fact that there was going to be different concentrations in different areas of the theater. They didn't think mm -hmm. that there was going to be a problem with the range of ages in the individuals and how that affects them metabolically. And a lot of the people that were part of the hostage part of it died because they overdosed and were not treated immediately for the, the I mean, you would have to treat each one of them with a, a Narcan or mm. similar and pretty fast because they're they're going to have respiratory arrest and their and the process of the shutdown. 
Now, Leah, when they when the Russian military put that together for the situation at the Moscow Theater, which I'm somewhat familiar with, uh, you're, you, if everything I, I've read, I understand you're correct. They didn't really have a total idea how this was going to go down. Now, when they how uh, do you know how they were able to? get it into the theater? I mean, obviously it's an aerosol, but did they spray it into the ventilation systems? Uh, did someone walk in and just drop a, you know, a um, bag yeah, or my something? Knowledge was, yeah, my knowledge was that they that they pumped it through the, the, in the duct and the ductwork mm-hmm. from an outdoor source so that they made sure everybody was knocked out before they came in. And th- this is invisible, correct? I mean, this is like any other kind of chemical. Well, depending on how you, you do that, I mean, an aerosol, if they manage to get it into droplet form or, or small particle form. Right, uh, like a gas. So you, yeah. you, you turn it into a gas when you're using things like fentanyl is used as, in a gaseous form for surgeries. So you would put the mask over the person's face and then, you know, you turn it into a breathable gas. And, you know, the particles are so small, it would, it would probably be difficult to see it, if I was going to guess. Now, would you have guessed before that this was a uh, something that could be used uh, within chemical warfare? Is, is this something you would have known back then or, or even now before studying it that this was I definitely? I wouldn't have thought of it. I okay. really wouldn't have thought of it. And what, what really bothered me is when I was looking at the articles talking about carfentanil, not like fentanyl. So fentanyl is not as lipophilic. Carfentanil being lipophilic can be absorbed through your skin. That's the scary part for me, and the, and the fact that the dose of carfentanil that's lethal is so much tinier than the one for fentanyl, and the fentanyl is already pretty pretty strong. So now you have something that you can absorb through your skin. If you put in a situation where, like, a police raid, I was reading something this morning in an article, police raided this place where they thought it was going to be drugs involved, and they tossed in one of those one of those little blast, uh, like a blast weapon that blows things oh, up, caused uh, the stun powder grenade, to go yeah. in. Yeah, caused, caused the powder to be aerosolized and 11 officers from DEA had to be treated with Narcan because, wow. because they were going to breathe it in. Well, I know uh, the police in northern Jersey uh, around New York City will no longer do field testing of drugs because a couple of detectives ended up touching the packet and ended up overdosed on carfentanil. Leah, if you had to compare uh, carfentanil with the mix uh, to get the um, the aerosol type of situation going, so you can distribute it, would you compare? How what's the close comparison to say carfentanil along with sarin gas? What are we looking at? Because people know mustard gas, they well, understand. Well, it's a completely different process mm-hmm. too. With with carfentanil, you're looking at something that's that's like an anesthetic. So if you can look at it like an anesthesia standpoint, sarin is a, a potent nerve agent where you're going to have a whole different set of symptoms. I mean, with sarin, any kind of nerve agent, you're going to have uh, acetylcholinesterase related symptoms. So pupils are going to be uh, affected. You're going to have uh, heart affected. You're going to have respiratory affected. And, and it's a painful kind of a thing when you're dealing with sarin gas, whereas people that are exposed to carfentanil just kind of fall asleep. You see people that are that are using it in, in a drug form that just pass out in their car or wherever they're taking it. So sarin, uh, most biological and chemical weapons are supposed to be banned, 
under the Geneva Convention. Supposedly, every major country has it or has them. Um, it's kind of the poor man's, I guess, nuclear bomb if they get a, a chance to have that kind of weapon of mass destruction there. My, my, I, I guess what I'm thinking here is that carfentanil and anything related to it to make a WMD is so much easier to get. And I'll throw that at Leah first. I want to just say her background's there. Leah, is it so much easier to get? Does the government see this right now? I haven't talked to anybody that really thought of it in that way. And, and when I, I wrote a short little paper, which I, I haven't tried to publish anywhere on, because you don't want to give anybody ideas um, that they didn't have already. <laughs> but yeah. nobody, nobody's really, that I'm aware of, has looked at it in this aspect. And I see this as a, as a potential problem because if you can, everybody's worried about spores. Okay, so we can send anthrax through the mail. Imagine a kilo of carfentanil, and that goes and, and blows up in a, a postal service facility, and all of these people are exposed. When it takes a like a pinpoint size piece of this carfentanil to kill you, now you've got a, an exposure to all these people and all the mail that it touches, and everybody that's going to have a hand on that. In the process of getting the mail out, how are you going to decontaminate that? You know, and in the process, look at the things you're decontaminating. You want to wet down everybody's mail, and you know who, what's in the mail cannot be wet down. So you, there's all these different things that you just get thrown at when you start thinking about the exposure potential for this, and decontamination for this, and remediation, cleaning that up. So, and what things can you use on your skin that's going to prevent you from having the exposure worse? There's, I mean, I've looked into this myself extensively, and you have to use a, a lipophilic agent to get it off your skin. Which because would if be you use soap and water. You're going to be washing it into your skin more than you're going to be removing it. So you need something so, that draws it out. Exactly, something as simple as corn oil. It can because the corn oil is more lipophilic than your stratum corneum of your skin, and it would if you wipe dry wipe the corn oil, it would pull the the drug off the skin and into that, and then you could wash it off. There's um there's one uh, decontaminating lotion that I read about recently, and it's called DTAM, and it's based on um, the high molecular weight solvents. Um, like polypropylethylene glycol and polyethylene, so it would it would help in the same way as corn oil, but it's manufactured to do that specifically to decontaminate skin. So it's part of what uh, uh, law enforcement would want to have, part of what I assume our Congress would want to have, so they can keep on moving forward. But on that that side note, that little shot I took, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, again, my guest is Bill Young, owner of Moldenmore. I'm not getting that right today. Leah Roberts, expert on biological and chemical weapons. We are talking about carfentanil, a drug associated with heroin, and surprisingly, a potential WMD. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. My guest today, Bill Young from Moldenmore, president, owner, uh, former cop, former history teacher. Bill, anything else? Did I miss uh, anything there? used to teach uh, 
Accident avoidance. Did you really? Yeah. Uh, for the police department? No. Well, I did it for the police department, but I also did it for, um, <laughs> interestingly enough, the pharmaceutical industry loses several reps a year because they drive so many miles. And uh, so we taught them how to avoid crashing. That's interesting because I've been doing outside business development for years. <laughs> I've never had the thought of having someone teaching me how to drive, but, but okay, I'll go with that. Now, Leah, your background... Um, you're a, a scientist by nature. Is you know by what you've studied, is chemicals, uh, biological, and you know just chemicals themselves. Is that your main focus? I, I started out with the, the biological side, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I deviated into the, the public health realm and began studying things in biodefense and biosecurity, and I like the counterterrorism potential of, of those for research areas and some of the things that were most astonishing to me that really grasped me and made me go in that direction was reading about um, the biological warfare system that was in Russia for a lot of years that covertly was operating and got really huge and until so we found out that the, one of their main guys had defected and told us all about it and, and they continued to deny a lot of the things that he said and <laughs> wrote in his books over the time um, which, which they're really good at denying things that they're using. So, like, they're still not responding to the use of carfentanil and remifentanil in the Dubrovka theater siege. So, it's trending to, to see that happen. But I wasn't really interested in the chemical side until I ran across a, a man named Jonathan Tucker who wrote some books about the biological and then kind of walked into the, the chemical stuff, and I became interested in that. Sadly, he's, he's passed now. Uh, Nobody expected that, but yeah, he was my inspiration for the chemical weapons side of it. Well, here's the interesting part. Now, I know you're in the process of building uh, your own business, coming out and really bringing uh, biological chemical weapons, in particular carfentanil we're talking about, to the masses. Can you tell us a way to reach you? I know you have a lot of things you've written. Some of them published, some haven't. If anyone out there is interested in reading the things you have written, is there a way they can contact you? Absolutely. I do have a website that I'm working on. The email for that website is, is active. I can get emails on there if anybody <laughs> want to get a hold of me before I have my website finished. Um, well, go ahead. Give it, to, give it to us because, like I said, I know this will get out there, uh, and I think it's fascinating what you do, and I'm pretty sure there are a lot of people who would be interested in reading your uh, your papers. Okay, the the website should be um, lrobertsconsulting.com. Excellent, actually. I did want to ask you, now I, maybe I shouldn't ask this on the air, but I am curious. Have you done any work for SOCOM? No, okay. I have not. If anyone who knows what I'm, if you know what I asked, then you know what I asked. If you don't, it doesn't mean anything. I was just curious because you're in that area. I'm familiar with, with them and their operations, absolutely, but no, I have not done any work personally for them. Okay, that was because I'm, I'm also familiar with them and their operations, and I was curious to whether or not that had been an area yet, which I'm pretty sure in the future it will be. Now, Bill, God, you've done so many things, and I love it, I love it here. Now, you own uh, Mold & More. You guys deal a lot with mold remediation. Yeah. Um, kind of on a fluke, a few years ago, you came across a product called Easy Decon DF200, uh, manufactured by IntelliGuard out of Colorado. They got the license from Sandia Labs correct, uh, in New Mexico. 
who designed it. They designed it at the request of the U.S. government, if I'm correct here, after the 1995 sarin attack against in the Japanese uh, subway system. Correct. The government came to them and said, look, we need this design for uh, SARS and other biological chemical weapons, and they did it. But you, or someone else, but you took it to another level, realize it also destroys mold. Yeah, and mold, bacteria, viruses, the, the advantage is sort of limitless. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm a snake oil salesman because this does so many things. We can take care of the biological issues. Um, one of the things that they came up with with the sarin gas, they could neutralize the sarin gas. That wasn't the problem. The problem was they couldn't do it and save the people. Um, the pro this product, Easy Decon, uh, and that in the form for chemical, it's called Crystal Clean, uh, that actually is uh, inherently biodegradable and not harmful to humans or other animals. The only thing is that uh, if dogs or cats get too much of it, they may start to vomit because of uh, that's, it contains hydrogen peroxide. Um, but the, the requirement was that it be able to be used in high population concentrations, not negatively impact the population, but neutralize the weapon, whether it was biological or chemical. Now, this is where it gets interesting. You've become a master distributor for them. Um, you're involved behind the scenes. I know this because we're friends. Uh, in areas dealing with biological and chemical weapons, uh, selling to different companies, you know, going in front of different companies. The, the Easy Decon, the DF-200, um, we, again, we talked about this. We know it can take out a... Uh, clandestine lab, a uh, meth lab, a me anything that's been used, it will eliminate, and that's the key word here, eliminate anything involved with that. should be able to rehabilitate a home or any facility to where it's habitable again, any, correct? Any building that's been used for that, and we've got studies that show that it completely eliminates all the components of methamphetamine. Now, you've been able to make, through IntelliGuard, and I think also through Incendia Labs, I believe Incendia Labs, the uh, person that either d designed it, came up with it, or whatever it is, it will do the same thing with carfentanil. They believe so. Now, nobody's done any actual testing, and so you don't want to make claims that you can't verify. But uh, based on the chemistry, they believe that it would neutralize the carfentanil in whatever form it was on surfaces or anything like that. So to go back to Leah's point of uh, somebody putting that into a small package, putting it through the Postal Service, have it with a timed device, and then it explodes and contaminates everything. It's conceivable, uh, just like the weaponized anthrax that was used in the Senate office building and the post offices, uh, Easy Decon was used to neutralize that. It could be used to neutralize this. I wouldn't want to make a definite claim until we've actually had a chance to test it, uh, and we're in the process of trying to make that happen. But theoretically, if you go down the line, you would say that just because of what it is, other things that, that can be destroyed by the decon, this would be... This would be a way to decontaminate an area. Um, it wouldn't necessarily be good for people, like she's talking about. Mm. And I'm, I'm curious as to whether, uh, Leah, whether you think that um, coconut oil would be an option, given the high fat content of coconut oil. Well, similar like like what happened with corn oil, it's going to be more like a lipophilic than your skin, so it would draw, to, theoretically, it would draw the drug out off of the surface of your skin 
and into the oil, but you, you, you're talking about getting that on your skin within three minutes of an exposure or less. I mean, immediately if you could, you know. Yeah, and of course the dilemma is they often don't know what they're walking into. Exactly, but if, if I saw, if I, I was briefed on this potential threat as a law enforcement officer of any kind, and I went into a situation where I was faced with a cloud of white powder, which would which would indicate a toxic atmosphere, because now you're going to be breathing it in. I would I would turn around, walk right back out. I would suit up. Yeah. And and if I had any exposure, I would be using a. a high molecular weight solvent type decontamination for my skin and getting that off my clothes so that if it was on my clothes and it's going to work its way into to my skin, I'm getting those off now. Yeah. And I'm, I'm suiting up before I go back in there because your safety's first. Interesting. Now, Leah, when you're going to conferences, uh, you're giving talks, you're involved with law enforcement, you're talking to people, is the biological and chemical weapons situation being taken very seriously. Is this really high up on the government's uh, watch list? Are there things being done behind the scenes that should make us feel better as citizens? Because really, uh, everything has changed so much since 9-11. Everything changed so much, in my opinion, since communism and the wall fell in 89. A lot of scientists out there with knowledge don't have any money. Uh, there's things floating around out there. Going back to what I was asking, is this being taken as seriously as it should be? In my opinion, I, I don't think so. I don't. I don't have a lot of information. I'm not privy to the information that's going on behind the scenes. A lot of those. I'm sure that there's there's some regulations on what they're allowed to say and what they're not allowed to say. Uh, because because if you tell everybody what your defenses are, you you let everybody in the public know you know, what the game plan is behind the scenes, then they're going to find a way to circumvent it. Of course, you don't want to tell everybody your plans. Um, but I, I think that there should be a little more awareness, and I would like to see a little bit more briefing, a little more exercises that involve a potential of carfentanil or the fentanyl. There's so many different analogs of fentanyl, and in my opinion, it was because the fentanyl was was chopped off at the at the shipping uh, channel that you, you could really get it in illegally if you wanted to still but the importation of that is is being regulated more so now we have to find a different analog so carfentanil came up because it's less regulated and in china it isn't regulated at all so they can manufacture it legally they can ship out huge amounts of it legally in the United States, we're only allowed to have, I think, for veterinary medicine, I, I think the figure was 17 grams or 19 grams, something in that area, a year. Because the, the only real use for the stuff is to tranquilize large animals like elephant. <laughs> so, so this is the need for that is so small. The DEA put this regulation on it. But if somebody can circumvent that and order a kilo from China... You know, even if it's in several packages, that's that's way bigger than the, the allowable amount for an entire year coming into the country. And if they're catching this many packages, how many are they not catching? And where is it going? Amazing. We're going to take a break. Uh, you're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. My guest today, Bill Young, owner of Moldenmore. Also, I have to say, well, I'm going to come back on that. We come back where, where you said just threw my glass on the ground. My other guest, Leah Roberts, an expert in biological and chemical weapons. 
who is also starting her own business, and we're going to help her with that. We will be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Life on Eddie. I'm your host, John Averly. Leah Roberts, one of my guests today, a uh, an expert on biological chemical weapons. Leah, please, again, give us a way to contact you and give us a way that people can find your uh, your papers, your, your written articles and so forth. There's a lot out there. I've seen a few. I think anyone who's interested in this topic will find what Leah has written and researched very, very exciting. So can you do that, Leah? Thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. my email address from the website is going to be my first name Leah L E A H dot Roberts R O B E R T S at L Roberts Consulting dot com. Uh, hopefully, I'll have the website up pretty soon. And it, if there's anything in particular that the listeners would like to read about, they can contact me with a with a request. Hey, have you written anything about this? And if I have something on hand, I'd be happy to share it. I did write a book about Ebola when the outbreak was going on. So Ebola 2014 is out on Amazon. They could read that if they'd like to. That would be fascinating to me. I think Bill would enjoy it's, that one yeah, as well. I, did you actually, read it? I have a copy. Okay, well, that's some I'll have to pick up there. <laughs> we took care of Bill early on. <laughs> okay, that's how you got. Okay, we'll work it out. <laughs> Bill, now, I'm going to hit you in a couple ways here. Um, give us mold and more. Tell me exactly what you're doing, how we can contact you. Plus, yeah. I want to hear about your expert witness testimony. Okay. If you can go there. Yeah. Uh, that's, the website is www.moldenmoredecon. That's M-O-L-D-N as in Nancy, M-O-R-E-D-E-C-O-N.com. And your connection, again, as a master distributor with IntelliGuard for Easy Decon DF200, you, well, basically, they, they've, you become an expert on it. As a matter of fact, IntelliGuard turns to you in a lot of situations now. I know I'm correct on that. They do. They do turn to you for uh, uh, expert testimony of the product. Yeah. So I want to throw that out there that, that uh, anyone who's interested in the Easy Decon DF200 decontamination product, uh, they can research it, they can come to you, and you'll, you'll answer the questions straight up. Yeah, yeah. And actually, there's a, a third product out there now. We, we have Easy Decon, um, which is the uh, EPA-registered product for biologicals. Um, we have Crystal Clean, which is good for chemicals. And because it's chemicals, the EPA doesn't have the same regulations. And we now are venturing into what's called Turnout Clear, which is uh, for cleaning and decontaminating firefighters' turnout gear. Um, when they're exposed to a fire, the chemical changes during the process get embedded in their coats, and there's been a number of cancers that have been directly linked to that exposure. There's a study done. Yeah, several studies have actually been done. And we know that the off-gassing just off of their turnout gear after a fire goes on for at least 16 hours at peak levels. That's amazing. Yeah. That's like sitting like in a radiation chair. It is, yeah. Yeah, it really is. And so we're working diligently to to try and get this out there so that we can uh, get their turnout gear cleaned both at the fire scene as they exit because we can foam it right on there. Uh, And then in terms of further cleaning and and decontamination during a a washing process for their turnout gear. And what I find fascinating is this is EPA certified. Yes. And it has obviously large military component to it, but its commercial usage in so many areas is, is really beyond comprehension to a certain point. 
I mean, it really is out there. Um, I guess my question for you, up until we discussed this before, I had no idea there was a way to take a clandestine lab, a meth lab, and rehabilitate it to where it is habitable. Because everything I've read is that these facilities are basically toxic dumps. They have to be destroyed. But this product, the Easy Decon, kind of changed all that. It, it can go out and rehabilitate, which would make bankers happy. You would think. You would think. Because, bankers are. Because the laws are very story. different in every state. Some. Well, they places, are. In yeah. Pennsylvania, you don't have to disclose if your building was used as a meth lab. Uh, if you go out to Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, uh, a lot of the Midwest, because they have a much greater problem with methamphetamine. Uh, and they've recognized that problem, so they do require disclosure for real estate deals. Um, that doesn't mean somebody doesn't doesn't know and doesn't tell you, but um, it it really is a great way to rehabilitate a, a property, and you don't have to come in and destroy it. There may be some things you have to remove, but um, for the most part, we can decontaminate it without removing anything. Leah. Yes. What's your biggest fear right now? that's out there as far as the biologicals and the chemicals and the WMD possibilities. If you had to give me something to worry about tonight when I go to bed. <laughs> what, oh, what there's so you, many. <laughs> well, it, it, this is the interesting part, though, because for the most part, people walk through the world unaware, and probably the best way. There's, Thank God there's people like yourself, there's people like Bill, people who take an interest in this. But Right, and you, you aren't taking it personally and walking around scared because you don't want you don't want the worried well thing to come about and everybody's scared to death and they can't function. Yeah, yeah, but so. I, I coming from a military background, I need to be aware. I want to know, and I'll give you a reason. And I don't think I'm giving any ideas away here either. And, and if I am, this is life. Okay, holiday times right now. The malls are packed. Yep. If you want to make a statement. Uh, letting loose a biological or a chemical weapon in a packed mall is going to make that statement. And you don't it, even have to use an actual weapon. You just use something that's a simulant so that you're not really endangering yourself, but everybody thinks that it's what, you know, is something dangerous to them. You make a cloud of spores. You take something as, as simple as powdered sugar and blow it off and, and make people believe it's spores. They're going to be insanely scared and they're going to be running for treatment so and then you're going to have to decon it because it was a threat now you have to test it you have to spend a lot of money on on law enforcement on response on decon and testing for for nothing and that's happened here a lot of times i've, I've seen because i was affiliated with a lab in usf for a little while while i was doing my undergraduate study and the the lab there works with the biodefense and they would do the testing on any white powder incidents and it was really, uh, it was really a pain. Anytime somebody wants to do something like that, whether it's an agent or not, they have to test it, and it's got to be. There's a procedure. You think um, we're going to see more creative things in the future? I mean, I mean, again, you never thought of uh, carfentanil mixed with another uh, type of chemical to to become a major, or maybe not a major player yet, but it looks and like it it's about to be. It, I think so too, and it would take such a small amount of the carfentanil to to be a big problem. Even you know, like you think about, it, you're walking through a mall and somebody decides to do something with this stuff. I was reading something again this morning. There was an article that quoted uh, 
oh, who was it? A- Andrew Weber, former Assistant Secretary of Defense for the Nuclear, Chemical, and Biological Defense Programs, and he was quoted saying it is a weapon and companies shouldn't be sending it to anybody. So, you know, I've got the quote right here on my computer. Countries that we are concerned about were interested in using it for offensive purposes. We are concerned that groups like ISIS could order it commercially. He's saying that on the open. I mean, okay, so that just puts across everything they wrote in the paper. Yeah, I think it yeah. needs to be said, Two months though. ago, and you can just you could just think about the scenarios where that would lead to. I think it And that's where said. I was coming from yeah. when I wrote the paper. We sure. need awareness in the law enforcement community. No, 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 definitely. I, I don't think you can hide from a problem like this. I mean, if the corfentanol is being used in the heroin trade, being used by people injecting themselves, and... 10,000 times more powerful. People are going to die from it, obviously. Now we're looking at it in a much bigger sense. Now, I don't mean to trivialize anyone's life when I say this, but 35 people dying this week in Philadelphia is horrible. 35,000 potentially dying in an attack using uh, a chemical weapon like carfentanil is is beyond anything else I can comprehend. I think and there's a lot of it. other scenarios that you can think of where that would come into play and, and be very dangerous. Leah, how do you sleep at night? <laughs> I'm wondering. <laughs> I mean, your mind's constantly gone. There should be a board it game is. with this, you know? And I don't, I don't personalize with the, with the research, so, you know, it's kind of you keep that separate. I, I, think, I think it's amazing. we got about two minutes. Leah, give us again uh, contact information. Tell us... Uh, a couple of papers that, that that you have that might be interesting, and because I'm definitely going to grab the Ebola thing. The Ebola book is good. Yeah, the Ebola book's really really exciting. I can actually send you a copy if you contact me when we finish you talking. Must be, you must be a great date. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the <laughs> Ebola book is everything. <laughs> I would be all over it, but gee. yeah, I don't have a lot of friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thanksgiving dinner must have been great. Do you know the Ebola virus is like reemerging? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but please yeah, give us that's, the... <laughs> that's kind of calmed down by now, but yeah, my email is leah.roberts at lrobertsconsulting.com, and my website will soon be up with, within the next couple of weeks. I'm hoping I'll have that finished. It's, again, lrobertsconsulting.com. Yeah, definitely got to do that. Definitely got to yeah. do that. Bill, final minute, your credentials again. Give us what you've got at Molden Moore. Tell us real quick about uh, contacting you concerning Easy Decon. Yeah, the easiest way to contact us via the website. It's www.moldenmoredecon. That's M-O-L-D-N as in Nancy, M-O-R-E-D-E-C-O-N.com. And there's email links on there uh, and phone numbers. So if you wanted to call and ask questions, we can do that. Well, it was a Merry Christmas type of show. That's it really was. Sure. <laughs> And, and the music was appropriate. <laughs> you know, thank you. I I try to pick out uh, my bumper music to every topic or show I'm doing. Bill Bill's aware of that. I thought this fit perfect. I appreciate it. Listen, Merry Christmas to both of you. Thank you. Uh, I hope you sleep okay, Leah. Bill, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> Too much for me to handle. But I want to thank you both for coming on and giving uh, your information, your backgrounds. I think it's fascinating. I think it's important to know this is the world we live in now. And uh, Leah, will you be available as an expert if I need you? You betcha. Excellent. Bill? Yes. You're always there. Well, yeah. we're going to cut out here. You have been listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. My guest today, Bill Young, Leah Roberts. I'll be back again next week. <laughs>